This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing lesson number one don't pay for lessons. TD Ameritrade's education is free. Choose from articles, videos, webcasts, and more. Everything you need to take your trading to the next level. Visit slash education. Member SIPC. It's Wednesday, May 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analysts Emily Flippin and Jason Moser. Welcome. How are we doing? Hey, hey. Doing well. Well, it is good to be here. We're going to talk some Nordstrom. We're going to talk some Lowe's. Woof, woof. <laughs> that is a double woof on those. We'll get to that. But let's start with Target getting it done. Shares of Target up more than 9% on earnings at the time of our taping here. Same store sales. Up more than four percent, four point eight percent, Jason, for the quarter. Now we've got strong growth in their digital sales. That includes orders that you make online and pick up at the store. Jason, what's not to like here with Target? There is not a lot in there to not like, and that's a weird way of saying you gotta like exactly what they reported here this quarter. Um, I mean, in a world where Amazon and Walmart have really been at the forefront of the conversation here, and Walmart obviously investing a lot of money into growing their e-commerce business and competing more with Amazon, Target has kind of been able to to sort of just keep under the radar and do their thing. But you look at what has gone on over the past few years. CEO Brian Cornell has got to be feeling really good about where things stand right now. And it's not to say that it's been a straight line up, but when he got there, I think back in 2014, I mean, there was the realization that they needed to make investments. In digital and become a 21st century retailer. And lo and behold, I think they've gotten there. And if you look at some of the numbers, if you talked about comps there, this was actually their eighth consecutive quarter of comp growth. Uh, growth. Uh, but you know, when you look at digital sales up 42% for the quarter, digital accounted for more than $5 billion in sales last year, supposed to account for more than $6 billion in sales this year. Now, when you put that in the context of a top line that's around $76 billion, I mean, it's not obviously super important, but it's becoming more important as time goes on. And obviously, it's gaining some traction. It was a good quarter for, for Target, for sure. But you'll notice that with all of this you know, great comp improvements, and, and while it is notable that Target is such a, a retailer that's succeeding in such a challenging industry, it's still a retailer. So, you'll notice that despite the company continuing to raise revenue, their cash flow from operations were actually negative. They actually paid out more in cash than they brought in. Uh, and that's largely thanks to the fact that they're really kind of paying down in large portions their $10 billion of accounts payable. So there's a little bit of, I guess you could say, earnings management going on here as well, because they knew it was going to be a good quarter. And so they take that hit during the quarters when people are going to be focused on the near 5% same store sales growth. Okay, so you're saying maybe we need to slow our roll a bit with Target. <laughs> I don't think you should slow your roll. I still like Target as a company, but I, I will say it's still a retailer. And so I think people can kind of forget that when you have quarters like this. You know, Target is differentiated, has a differentiated strategy, but it still takes a lot of financing and a lot of work to make these companies succeed over the long term. And you'll notice that management expected growth to slow slightly throughout the rest of the year. So, while it's a good quarter, I like Target in general. Um, personally, I think there are better places to put your money. Okay, so let's talk about that. Jason, you mentioned some of the competition. Who's the bigger threat to Target, Walmart or Amazon? Um, I mean, I guess I would I would look at Walmart as probably being the bigger threat because it's it's the more comparable of the two. I mean, Walmart and Target are kind of those 
uh, traditional retailers that are having to pivot and change their business model a little bit, at least here, in order to compete more with Amazon. And um, I mean, one of the signs that they're doing a good job of it. I mean, when they they said they wanted to put their stores, the physical stores, at the center of their fulfillment, um, and that's that ship from store mentality that a lot of these retailers are, are approaching these days. I mean, they handled over eighty percent of their digital volume from the actual stores, so they've done a good job of turning those stores into stores slash fulfillment centers. But I think Emily makes a really good point here. It costs a lot of money to keep that operation going. I mean, it's not like they've, you know, reached the finish line and now everything's hunky dory. I mean, this is stuff that they have to just keep on doing. Essentially, on on into forever, uh, in order to stay competitive, and it really is one of the most competitive markets out there today. When you look at what Amazon and Walmart are doing as they jockey for position, so I mean, yeah, good quarter for sure. Um, I mean, I don't personally own shares of Target. I don't know that this report makes me want to own shares of Target, but I mean, you got to commend them for a job well done. Definitely, Target's always been forward thinking in that regard. I'd also have to agree though that Walmart seems to be the bigger threat. Um, I use threat loosely because I think there's a world in which Target and Walmart both succeed. But in terms of, of direct competitors, while Amazon does have some overlap, I think the core customer, Walmart, is trying to win over from Target by introducing things like their own independent retail lines for clothing, uh, you know, changing their prices, their pricing structure, changing the experience of shopping in their stores, improving the online pickup sales, all these areas that kind of made shopping at Target a more pleasant experience than shopping at Walmart are slowly, at least management of Walmart, is slowly trying to change. And I was surprised when I was looking at the stock and looking at the stock chart over the last five years. Um, shares of Target are up, but Target has lost to the market over the last five years. Yeah. Um, when you look out over the next five years, do you think Target's a market beater? I, you know, we had that same question in regard to uh, Walmart when we were talking about Walmart versus Amazon. I could see a world where Walmart could very well be a market beater. I, you know, I think Target's got a little bit of a tougher road ahead, and I think that the biggest problem for them is just it's going to be the spending that they're going to have to do on an ongoing basis. And and I think that could prevent the stock really from from offering any kind of real attractive gains for investors. I mean, I don't know that I'd be looking at Target today as as an investment where I'd call it a market beater. And they made a you know big kerfuffle this week with their partnership with Vineyard Vines. You know the pink whale. It's yeah, kind of stylish. <laughs> yeah, I kind of think of them as kind of polo esque. And the stuff just immediately sold out online on Saturday and in the stores on Saturday. So much so that by Sunday there were nine thousand of these Target Vineyard Vine clothing items on eBay already, which is insane. I mean, I. I, I... You know, I guess we never really thought of Walmart and/or Target as fashion-forward companies, and I mean, I think we we posed the question more than once that with Walmart certainly making some of those acquisitions and trying to become a little bit more of an e-commerce business and bring some brands under their umbrella. You know, does a brand lose some cachet when it becomes a part of the Walmart family? And and the same question should be asked of Target. I mean. Does a brand lose some of that cachet? It becomes part of a sort of a discount retailer's world. I don't know. I mean, I would think probably, but could maybe be not as much as it used to. If you're not competing on price, you're competing on service. And historically, Walmart's always been the price leader, and Target's been that service leader. And and having Vineyard Vines is 
probably part of that service experience, right? You're getting that distribution, that demand, but you're not really taking the the brand to as low of a level, I guess you could say, as Walmart. That being said, like I said, I, I feel like Walmart is slowly moving to be both a low-cost provider and a service provider. And if they're able to succeed in doing that, then one-trick ponies like Vineyard Vines aren't going to be enough to save Target. Okay, well, I think a brand loses cachet when I start to wear it. <laughs> so that's probably a good sign for Vineyard Vines because I, I don't wear Vineyard Vines unless it's Kirkland. I mean, Kirkland. That's when that's that's when it's on the other. It's on the way up. It's timeless, right? It is timeless. Yeah. You mentioned it, and I was so excited. Washington Post <laughs> food section today. They review all the local hot dogs. What is the best hot dog? And they have them ranked like they're twenty or twenty-five of them. Number one. Costco. I just don't How understand. Great that. Is How that? in the world is How that even possible? Great really, is that? what makes it so great? Is it just because of the price? It's the I, price. I, I just, I just, I can't just. I've never had one, but I cannot disagree. Wait with a minute, that. you've never had one? No. I, I mean, you come in here on a daily basis, know, touting the merits of your Costco membership. I know. You've never had. I, I've, I'm just. I don't know I'm, what I can ask. I'm you just so excited to get don't. all this stuff home. <laughs> I can't take time to like have a hot dog there. Okay, let's move on to Nordstrom. Wow, really struggling here. Shares falling more than 8%. Um, weaker, weaker than expected earnings, and Nordstrom cutting its full year forecast. Now, Emily, among the culprits here, problems with Nordstrom's loyalty program, that seems bad, and slowing sales of full priced women's clothing, which I understand from my limited experience in Nordstrom, that is an important part of the product mix. It is an important part. And this 57% decline in earnings year over year is definitely representing that. Management chopped it up to executional misses. So essentially, Acknowledging the fact that they made a lot of mistakes, one being the changes to the loyalty program, so they didn't send out flyers. And it turns out a decent number of people relied on these flyers to to remind them to go into the Nordstrom. I love that. So a victory for snail mail. Turns out people (laughs) still want something mailed to them, or a loss to Nordstrom's, which might tell you something about their core customer, right? If they're still relying on these snail mail catalogs, I guess you could say, to to remind them to shop at Nordstrom's. But they also said that there's a poor merchandise mix. And that kind of goes into women's clothing. <laughs> and this is what we've been citing as a main concern, at least I've been citing as a main concern with a lot of traditional retailers, especially clothing retailers, is that they have to order, purchase, and stock inventory, which is essentially trying to predict what people are going to want to buy. And they keep losing out to the TJ Maxx's and the Burlingtons of the world, because they don't care what inventory they have, they stock a little bit of everything. It might be off-season, it might not be the newest thing, but that doesn't matter to them. Nordstrom's needs to predict trends in fashion and demands, and it's what you know, in part killed JCPenney, was because of poor merchandising management. And so, Nordstrom's this quarter, to me, says the main thing they're struggling with is, is expertise in merchandising. It's a very difficult space. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Sustainable um, improvement in in the specialty retail fashion style uh, investments. It's just it's really difficult because I mean, Emily really hit the nail on the head there. I think they have to just be really good about predicting fashion, and then not only predicting the fashion, but predicting how much of it, how much of it they're going to sell. And and I mean, you look at all of these retailers' balance sheets, and when you see those inventory numbers start getting a little bit inflated, that's kind of a double whammy because not only is the inventory becoming inflated, but as time goes on, it becomes even more obsolete. So they essentially just end up writing all of that stuff off or selling it to these 
these, uh, you know, other chains and other other stores in the in the chain there in the value chain for for next to nothing. So, um, I mean, when they're succeeding, yeah, the market recognizes that, but uh, very difficult to to succeed on a sustainable basis. And it seems like one of the trends, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna posit this as my fancy pants theory here, <laughs> that as a as a as a as a society, and especially in the U.S., we've become much more casual over the last 20 years. Oh, or for so, sure. Right. Yeah. So men, women, you don't see near as many business suits. They're not. There's not near as much of the need for that nicer formal or semi-formal clothing. Doesn't that hurt Nordstrom when people are gravitating to athleisure wear and they're wearing jeans to the office? I definitely think so. I was having this conversation with a couple of friends this weekend about the different clothes we wear to work. And at no point have I felt compelled to spend a few hundred dollars on a nice pair of uh, maybe a work suit or something. And that's not just because I work at The Motley Fool, where we're very casual, but my friends as well who have more professional jobs. Not to say The Motley Fool is not professional, but more <laughs> setting, a more professional setting. Job, uh, and they don't. They do the same thing. It's very much more casual, and, and it's hard to compel people to spend that much money. And if somebody is spending that much money on clothes, there are so many different ways to buy and consume those clothes that don't involve shopping at a place like Nordstrom. Yeah, just watch Joseph A. Bank and uh, Men's Warehouse. You know, that's that's a good example. I mean, those two essentially combined, right? And I think they've got a long road ahead as well, because that's all they really sell is sort of that formal attire and banker suits and whatnot. Uh, I mean, it's it's yeah, you just don't see people dressing the same way these days. So when you look at Nordstrom, the stock shares down more than forty percent over the past five years. What does it take to right the ship? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I think they put a lot of money into things like Trunk Club, trying to reach a different demographic, make it more accessible. But they've been sucking wind on Trunk Club, that being their their delivery service, style delivery service, very similar to Stitch Fix. Uh, but they they haven't really found a way to monetize that. And I think the main issue is that ultimately they're still a department store, and department stores are very expensive to run, uh, and they haven't really made changes to the way that they procure clothes. So, I think it's going to take an entire kind of like business overhaul, or potentially a cultural overhaul for the United States to really to save this company. Any chance they get acquired? I, I mean, certainly possible. I mean, but yeah, it's it's you know, you look at businesses when they're having problems. It's either a fundamental problem with the business, or it's a problem in the market that they actually serve. And I think that's where Nordstrom really has a problem: is that the market that they serve has has fundamentally changed over the past twenty years. And it's going to be very difficult for them to pivot because they essentially have to lose their identity in the process. And so. But you're saying if they become something completely different, <laughs> they have a chance. That could be that, that could be a solution. It's never a good sign, you know. Throw up a few Nordstrom frozen yogurt stands across the country. I, like and, I mean, well, everybody loves Planet Froyo. Fitness is looking for real estate, I hear. Uh-huh. So maybe Nordstrom's new, you know, development should just be selling everything to Planet Fitness. I like it. I go. like it. I like it. Well, this episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. When it comes to investing, each of us does it our own unique way. Some of us want to go it alone. Others might prefer some guidance. Regardless of your style, TD Ameritrade is always creating new solutions to help you. From their award-winning technology to personalized guidance, they have everything you need to invest on your terms. Visit tdameritrade.com/ytda to learn more and get started today. 
member SIPC. And let's close it out with Lowe's. Shares down 10% at the time of our taping on weaker-than-expected earnings, higher cost, and Lowe's cutting its full-year forecast. Now, it wasn't all bad. Same-store sales increasing 3.5%. So, what do we make of Lowe's? Yeah, I, this reaction is more about guidance, less about the actual results. But Lowe's, I mean, Lowe's is like the younger sibling that's always compared to that older brother or sister that like graduated top of their class and went on to become like a doctor or something. I mean, everybody's, they just can't ever seem to do anything Why right. Why can't you Even be more like Home Depot? <laughs> Why they just can't do anything right. Even when they're doing okay. And I mean, it was not that bad of a quarter, really. I mean, when you look at the numbers, I mean, sales were up 2.2%. Comps were up 3.5%. U.S. comps were up 4.2%. You compare those numbers to H uh, to Home Depot, which were 5.7%, 2.5%, and 3% respectively. They were in the same ballpark. But I tell you what really stood out to me is when you look at these retailers, and we know Home Depot and Lowe's, big physical stores, they have to maintain that physical infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, when we're looking at these businesses, we want to see traffic. We want to see more tickets, and we want to see increases in the ticket size. And and Home Depot has been doing that. Lowe's not so much, but let's also give Lowe's a little bit of wiggle room here because remember, CEO Marvin Ellison is just coming up on his first year anniversary. Remember, he came over to Lowe's from J.C. Penney a year ago, and he came into a difficult situation. So he set the table for us in understanding he was going to have to make a lot of investments in order to turn this business into sort of a. a 21st century omni-channel, if you want to call it, like Lowe's or like Home Depot has done done so well with, uh, it's going to take some time, no question. But there are clearly uh, points where Home Depot has had a lot of success in the products that they carry and the service that they provide that Lowe's just hasn't quite uh, cracked yet. No wiggle room. No wiggle room for me. None. None. Allison came in JCPenney. I say ripped everything up, but <laughs> attempted to do very similar stuff that he's been doing at Lowe's, then left before it was finished. He's been at Lowe's for a year, and the majority of what he's done is deconstruct, sold off a lot of things, change the business model, and his strategic advantage, the things, the three things that he says are going to make Lowe's amazing. One, modern systems for merchandising. Two, sturdy supply chain. And three, better in-store systems. This is not a competitive advantage. This is not. This is catching up to Big Brother. This is catching up to what Home Depot has implemented years ago. They're attracting people like contractors, people who make larger purchases versus the casual person who maybe just needs to buy a couple things and goes to whichever store is closer. And they've really done an ineffective job of attracting those contractors who have long-standing relationships with Home Depot coming to Lowe's. And I think that was probably what would have been a great thing for Ellison to come in and, and try to innovate, offering great discounts, more attractive pricing to contractors. But ultimately, it's like they're playing catch-up. And I, some of my favorite quotes are including what Ellison says, consumers love is innovation, which is why they sell things like TVs with, uh, you know, or refrigerators with TVs on them. I'm like, that's not your innovation. You're not the one making refrigerators with TVs in them. You're selling refrigerators with TVs in them. And anybody else can do that as well. Okay, so, so when it I'm comes frustrated. to your bearishness, you are not slowing your role I, when it comes am, to your bearishness. I am not slowing my role. I will say that both Home Depots and Lowe's have performed well, though, just because the talking about the industry we we're operating in, I mean, both 
those companies operate in an area that is continuing to grow and expand. But when I'm looking to buy one, there is a reason why Home Depot it has such a more, or I guess, more aggressive valuation is because it really is just that much of a better business. Well, I mean, I, I I agree. Home Depot is a much better business. And I mean, I was asked, I think I said on on Motley Fool Money, like, what was my favorite dividend stock not named McCormick? And I had to put Home Depot up on the top of that list for a lot of reasons. But I'm glad you said something about the pro customer because that really is. I feel like this is becoming more story about Home Depot than it is Lowe's. But I mean, hey, let's talk about the winners in the space, and that's that's Home Depot. And one of the things they are doing so well is focusing on that professional uh, contractor. You have your pros and then your DIYs, right? DIY right. might be me. Pro is going to be someone who's doing this for a living. But those pro customers count for about 50% of sales. Now, closing in on 50% of sales, but they also have, and I tell you, this was a great and move they spend on Home a lot more. Well, they do, but they also have a great tool rental program. And a lot of these pros, more and more of these pros are renting tools. They estimate somewhere towards 90% will actually rent tools to get jobs done as opposed to owning those tools. And Home Depot has a very robust tool rental program and they've seen the change there where they might have 1 out of 10 professional contractors renting from Home Depot 3 years ago, 4 years ago. Now it's about 1 out of every 4. And when you rent those tools, that's an automatic boost to spending. They're going to buy more from your store cuz they're going there to rent the tool anyway and they're coming back and back and back to rent the tool as opposed to buying one and never coming back anyway. And Telling you as, as someone who rented a tile cutter from Home Depot to, to tile our shower, you rent, you you are you are the man I should be. <laughs> it, it was it was seamless. It was such a great process. I go in there, I get the thing I need, I take it home, I return it the next day. I probably spent a total of about seventy five dollars. Where to buy a good tile cutter would have cost me probably three hundred, but I only needed it for that one time. Oh my gosh! If I came home with a rented tile cutter, <laughs> my wife would be like, "Not in this house." Because I would do serious damage. I mean, how how involved? Like, did you have training for this? How did that How did that work? I no, I didn't. I mean, it's pretty easy to use. I mean, you just you just cut the tile. It's got like a wet saw, and you just run it through. But I just you just casually mention a wet saw. I mean, yeah. I, I'm going to lose a limb if no, I do that. No, I don't think so. You're probably better at this stuff than you give yourself credit for. Oh my for. gosh! But I mean, that's a, I think a place where I I really do wish we would have seen something like that in this call. Where they were focusing on that, because that is somewhere. I think that's a point where Lowe's could really start to try to capitalize. They're just losing ground to Home Depot there, and that's a big deal. Well, let's let's talk about the stocks, and let's talk about both Lowe's and Home Depot. Because when I was looking at the stock charts for fun, because that's what I do <laughs> for fun. I mean, when you look at the stock charts over the last five years, they basically track each other. Yeah, both stocks have more than doubled. They've crushed the market, so they've done very well. But it's really interesting. In fact, if there's a lull in the conversation tonight when you're hanging out with your loved ones or you're out with friends, show them the stock charts. You will be the life of the party because it is it is it's voodoo magic. It's crazy. They they track each other. So going forward, what's the better stock? Oh well, I mean, I, I would go Home Depot ten times out of ten. Um, now I think there's the opportunity for Lowe's. To potentially have some more upside, assuming that uh, management capitalizes on these opportunities that we've discussed today. Yeah. Um, is I'm that not... is that the tile cutter talking though, or is that your objective analysis? <laughs> no, that's that's my objective analysis. Okay. I mean, okay. I, think there are I feel avenues, like you're emotional. There are ways that they can make their business better and more relevant to the professional client, and they don't seem to really be doing that at this point. Um, but you know, I mean, hey, listen, I think a lot of Lowe's success just comes t- thanks to the market that they serve. Yeah. Um, I mean. 
home improvement is a huge market. It's a market with a lot of tailwinds right now, given the the amount of home equity in our market today and the fact that we have such an aging house base out there. I mean, houses have to be updated, improved. I mean, that's just the nature of the game. Um, but Lowe's could be doing a lot more. Okay, Emily, fair to say that you're more bullish on Home Depot? Well, I'm really bullish on Lowe's, actually. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it's, it's a value trap. And I think a lot of people will look at the two companies and think Home Depot is really expensive. Lowe's operates in the same industry. Let me just buy some Lowe's because it looks cheaper. But I think it's a value trap. I think Lowe's is, is slowly dying, if I'm honest with you. And Ellison is trying to revive it in the same manner in which he tried to revive JCPenney. And how that And work? then ditched. It did not work well. I mean, maybe if he had stayed and stuck it out, we would have seen a different story, but I'm not willing to bet on it. And I think the same is probably true for Lowe's. Once the macro headwinds turn against them, which it will at some point, um, I, I think Home Depot comes out relatively unscathed. I think Lowe's is none for the better. Yeah, that's a good point. Home Depot is by far and away the company better prepared for the storm that's coming. Okay. Well, um, speaking of the storm that's coming, this has nothing to do with the storm that's coming, but it's my desert <laughs> island question. And let's say there's a storm coming or there's not, but no, you're it's somehow. Storm. It's a storm that put us on that desert that's island. That's true. Exactly. It's like so. Gilligan's Island. Exactly. <laughs> you're on the desert island and you have nothing to do, but you want to invest. And magically, somehow, you're able to invest in one of these five companies. And I'm going to throw a few others that we've talked about in play here. And you've got to hold it for the next five years. Are you going Target? Walmart, Nordstrom, Lowe's, or Home Depot? Walmart, for me, hands down. I like all the work that they're doing. I think their their management is extremely thoughtful, both with their their quick reactions to themes, things like one-day shipping, online ordering, trying to bring brands in-house. I think there, there's still a lot of runway for Walmart. I'm going to remain consistent. I ask myself every quarter why in the world I don't own shares of Home Depot because I should. Um, so I would I would definitely go Home Depot. Okay, and I'm I'm gonna I'm curious about renting a tile cutter. Do I do hey, I? Let's we'll get together one weekend. I'll show you some stuff. Yeah, I need I need a lot of work. <laughs> I I just caulked our shower hey, and I'm, I'm see? no, but I'm terrible at caulking. <laughs> it looks. It looks bad. It's it's not good. I'm giving I'm, himself enough credit, Emily. No, it's not good. I can't draw a very tight bead. And I went on YouTube and I watched this guy caulking, and of course he was great, but it just doesn't look at all like that. Takes so, some work. Yeah, takes some practice. Yeah, yeah. I need I need a lot of work. Okay, Jason, Emily, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. If you have any thoughts on well cutting tile or any of these stocks or caulking tips, marketfoolery at fool.com is our email. Marketfoolery at fool.com. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.